Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 109 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Dave Fox to discuss the first scene with DeLorean in the original Back to the Future. Excuse me Miss Salome, can I talk to you for a minute? Hello Dave. Hello Eric. Are you ready to go back in time? I am always ready at any moment, at the drop of a hat. Is that an English expression or is that yes, an American yes, thing? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yep. See, I don't know. I got to ask you. I defer to all things English to you. I don't know if it's an English expression, but we've got it over here. Okay. I am ready at any moment to talk about Back to the Future when anyone ever wants. If a hobo on the street wants to talk Back to the Future, I am stopping my day to talk about it. So thank you for asking me. That's That's absolutely... No problem, because I know you're a fan. Is this your third favorite film of all time? This is the third greatest movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other two are Star Wars films. The greatest movie of all time is The Empire Strikes Back. The second greatest movie of all time is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ah. And the third greatest movie of all time is Back to the Future. I love Back to the Future so much. I am the hugest fan ever. There's only one person I know that loves Back to the Future or knows more about it than I do. It's my friend Sarah. She'll never hear this, but I'm saying I'm giving her a tip of the hat. But other than that, this is my John. Okay, I know that's not a British thing. That's a Philadelphia thing. Okay, that's not bad going. Two minutes in and we've had tip of the hat and drop of the hat. (laughs) Let's this try and the... find another hat one, shall we? <laughs> this is the first movie that I saw five times in the movie theater. In 1985, I was 12 years old. My dad didn't want to deal with me, and he said, I'm dropping you off at the movies. Several times, mind you. Right. That and... was my very first question was, back in time, in 85, how old were you, and what did you think of it? So you oh already God. preempted me. So 12 you're... years old. Hang on. Your dad dropped you off. Why mm-hmm. did he drop you off? Because he, he, he didn't want who who he didn't want to be with me. I was this way when I was twelve. Who wants to, to deal with this all summer? True. The summer of eighty five was so great. I saw Back to the Future five times. I saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure three times. I saw European Vacation twice. That was Fletch. That was Teen Wolf. I spent my summer with Chevy Chase and Michael J. Fox. Apparently, <laughs> not my dad. When he dropped you off, he dropped you outside the cinema, did he? Yes, he did. So, and you had intended to go and see Back to the Future? Oh, yeah, five times. Right, right. But this is the first time you you, you saw it was when he he dumped you off at the side of the road. He sure did. Right. And so you went in and watched it by yourself? Oh, yes. I prefer to watch movies. I don't want to go to the movies with anybody. Who wants to sit there with somebody else and talk about the movie? I want to watch the movie. I don't want to sit next to you and talk about the movie while it's on. See, I, I tell you what, I love a lot of things about America. One of the things I don't like about America is this predilection there seems to be to be very animated and vocal throughout a film. Right. Okay. 
The only two times that should happen should be in a comedy when you're laughing or a horror film when you're screaming. That's the only two interactions the audience should have with each other, in my mind. I agree. There should be no talking, and I I think we had this conversation before. I don't know why they sell food in a movie Uh, theater. Oh, that, that that's one of the reasons I don't go to the pictures anymore is the bloody noise. Exactly. It's bad enough, the mobile phones. Sorry, the cell phones. Um, that's bad enough. But why do cinemas sell food in really noisy packaging? Right. If you're going to sell Sour Patch Kids, put it in the box. Don't put it in the plastic in the box because mm. now all I'm hearing is your wrapper. Yeah. While I'm trying to enjoy... Harry Potter, or some of the greatest things that have ever been put on celluloid. I got to listen to You Eat Milk Duds? Come on, dude. I know. It it pisses me right off. It really does. It really does. I've always said that if I won the lottery and I had a cinema, there would be no food sold in there. You've got to eat before you go. (laughs) And either you are, are muzzled so you can't talk, or your hands are clamped to your chair so you can't use your phone. That's I would, how I do it. I would gladly go to your cinema. You know what? You know what they can serve. This is what they serve: pre-unwrapped fig newtons. <laughs> because they're quiet. They're the yes. quiet cookie. Yes. I want yes. the quiet cookie. Or marsh- marshmallows in a in a bowl. Sure, I'm yeah. fine with that. Yeah. But no, if, if if I had my way, anybody going into my cinema would look like Hannibal Lecter in that, you know, straight jacket. <laughs> You're wheeled in like that, so t- totally mummified, so you can't utter a sound. You watch it, and then they wheel you back out. I'm going to the Hannibal Lecter cinema every day of the week. That's, that's my job. That's what I'll call it, <laughs> Hannibal I love, Lecter. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. If I win the lottery this week, that's what I'm going to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, we when I worked at the Canterbury Cinema... Um, um, we put on a staff screening. I can't remember what it was. It was the Matrix or something like that. And everybody was looking forward to it. And, and one of the floor staff, he sat near me. And then suddenly I hear all this noise. And the whole point, you know this, the whole point of having a staff screening is you're watching it without the public. Right. So you're watching it in silence. And then suddenly there, there's... Is that Einstein? Einstein! Einstein, you little devil! <laughs> He's come all the way from 85 to join us tonight. Thank you, Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> No, he started crunching away, and I turned to him, and this is like, you know, 10 in the morning, and it's like, what are you doing? And he said, oh, sorry, I haven't had my breakfast. And he, he brought along, uh, like, a bowl and a box of cornflakes and milk, and he oh was making God. his breakfast, and it's like, shut up! You're <laughs> kidding me. And it's like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> You're ki- that, that man should be charged with a crime. That's awful. You, t- <laughs> you don't eat cornflakes <laughs> in the cinema. Oh, dear. All no, right. but I, I appreciate you doing this because I don't get enough chances to talk about one of the the finest examples of storytelling that I've ever seen. So much so that I dressed like him for Halloween in seventh grade. Nobody knew who I was. In fact, I got in trouble because I wore it at school and I took in a skateboard and I got in trouble for having a skateboard in school. And so- my son, two years ago, maybe even last year, this was like a proud dad moment my son dressed like marty mcfly for halloween <laughs> when you dressed up what, what you had the life preserver on did you <laughs> yeah the, the i had the vest the jean jacket the shades kind of did my hair like him the sneakers the jeans it's yeah, an easy like... costume but in 1985 nobody knew you were dressed up because that's how people looked you say about the sneakers or tr- 
Do you also call them trainers in America? We only call them trainers over here. No, sneakers. No, well, over here, they're trainers. I remember um, uh, one of the projectionists I worked with, uh, a friend of mine, was he fell instantly in love with Back to the Future. It instantly became his number one film of all time, and he was obsessed by it. And uh, I think it was right until Bill and Ted came along, and then Bill and Ted uh, supplanted it. I know that's heresy to you, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, he he just became obsessed with it. He was a projectionist like me, and he watched it every show. And he wanted the trainers, you know, Marty McFly's trainers. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day, he and I, we went up to the West End of London because he was determined to have these trainers. And we went around every sports shop we could find in the West End, and we couldn't find that type. Was it Nike? They were white, yeah, white Nikes. Yeah, he he looked everywhere for them, couldn't find the, the the right ones. Came back rather crestfallen. A couple of days later at work, he, he goes off, um, you know, on his dinner break from the cinema. Next door to the cinema was a sports shop. And there they are in the window. Nice. Yeah, we went all the way up to London looking for them. And they were right next door to the cinema <laughs> that he's been watching the film in. <laughs> That's I always funny. remember that. <laughs> all right, then. Um, well, yeah, let's go. Um, it's 1985. We're back to the future. Um, yeah. What you you were saying there, I mean, it, it's a superb um, example of filmmaking and storytelling, isn't it? God, yes. It's Bob Gale, and and I don't. I mean, I'm sure he did things after this, other than the Back to the Future trilogy. But this, to me, for a long time, and I know it's fun to pick apart in the movies you like. That's why some of the podcasts on Neo's as exist you mm. you 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 take apart star wars because you love it and you take apart indiana jones because you love it and there are people that go into the the that couldn't have happened and back to the future but mm. saying all that and putting all that aside i think this is probably the greatest screenplay of all time mm. Mm. and and bob or robert zemeckis and all the actors of course deserve a lot of credit for that but it all started with this Screenplay by Bob Gale. I uh, I can't believe that uh, he he never did anything else to this magnitude because it is just to me the perfect story to tell. What is it like to go back and see what your parents are like when they were teenagers? The other stuff is a is a means to the end of that happening, but the main story is what were your parents like when you were younger? When they were when they were your age. Would you do it? Would you go back and see what your parents were like as teenagers? Absolutely, yeah. There's, there's, there's no doubt. Would you? Uh, if, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind. I, I, I would like to go back and see, you know, like, like my father as a teenager, and see if he was anything like I was as a teenager. Right. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? Do you know much about the behind the scenes to Back to the Future and and the screenplay? And et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I do, but I'm sure that I don't know everything. I'm not a behind-the-scenes kind of guy, so it's funny that you've asked me on the show several times, and I appreciate it. I don't, I don't really research how things are made, how behind the scenes and and uh, special effects and stuff like that. I just will sit and mindlessly enjoy a movie a hundred times without ever even wondering stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you you know things that I don't know. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk about that shortly. But let's talk about the sequence first. And uh, yeah, it's the very first appearance we've got of the DeLorean when it comes out of that uh, out of that uh, trailer truck thing. Um, Marty's arranged, or he's been told to go to. I can can never. It, it, is it Twin Pines? 
It's Twin Pines at the beginning. Begin with, and Lone it's... Pine at the end. Exactly. Okay. You know all the theories about, you know, I, I remember in Starlog, um, not long after the film came out, about how if you watch at the end of the film when it's Lone Pine or something, when when, when, when we get a recap of the very beginning, the sequence we're just about to talk about, mm-hmm. you can actually see in the background, you can see Doc and Marty. Yes. In the background and stuff like that. You know all about that. Yes. And that, that stuff is great. This whole setup is great. And there isn't a lot. This movie doesn't need a lot of exposition because you're seeing it unfold. But that little line of Doc saying, old man Peabody, mm. you know, and he's talking about how he had this dream about having a, you know, a pine tree farm. Yeah. yeah. That comes back to pay quickly because you get to see it happen as soon as he goes back in time because that's where they are. And. I don't remember if I caught that when I was 12 years old, seeing that the sign had changed Mm. to Lone Pine. But those are the kind of things that when you watch movies like this, add layers and layers of enjoyment to it. That is perfectly put. I mean, yes, when you know, you know, what's going on, all the clues are there. You don't necessarily take them in first time. Right. but, but, But there's more to get out of it each time you watch it, isn't there? Exactly. There, this movie is so wonderful in this scene that we're about to talk about that he arrives at the Twin Pines Ball at one mall at one sixteen a.m. That mall is still there, and it looks exactly the same. There is a. I recommend anybody that's a Back to the Future fan who whom I think they call themselves Backies. Mm-hmm. That's a bad name. <laughs> they, like, you could have thought of one a bit a bit better than that. Uh, uh, what like, about a brownie? <laughs> yeah, they're bread. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> so there's this guy who went around. He's an Australian guy, and he flew all the way to the United States to go to all the filming sites. And uh, he comp he put them all together in a compilation. Find this guy on YouTube. Uh, the a lot of the sets are still there, and that mall is still there. The J.C. Penney is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 drove part of the route that they drove in the parking lot. Uh, I love stuff like that. Did you know that that a a group of fans went, you know, um, um, when he goes back to whenever, when he goes into the future, Mm -hmm. the thing, the people went there to see if he would actually arrive on that date? (laughs) That's awesome. To see if he actually would appear, but of course he didn't. (laughs) No, I I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. It might be that they actually did believe it. I mean, you know how rabid some film fans are that that, yeah. they, that they believe that oh no, that's a documentary. Really, that's not that's not fiction. You know, the the line becomes blurred in some uh, fans' right. eyes, doesn't it? But it's only with movies like this. It's only movies that capture people's imaginations and mm. their hearts that something this great would cause people to behave like this. Mm-hmm. Because anything that wasn't this great, people wouldn't care, and people still care. Mm. And that makes this movie great. I mean, I remember how the how I felt when I was twelve, and the thing that I think I really connected with him, why I dressed like him for Halloween, because he was kind of the person that I wanted to be, because he had freedom, mm. and it was this fr- kind of freedom that I was starting to get at twelve years old. Like I said, my dad would drop me off, and I could watch that movie, and then I'd sneak into another movie. I was starting to get some freedom, and Marty had free freedom because. His parents were kind of out of it. Hmm. He had a skateboard. He had guts, and he didn't care what people thought. And that was just so attractive to me that, aside from the science fiction and the and the story, the way Michael J. Fox portrayed that, I I just 
clung on to it. Mm. I don't know. It was like it was like a thing for me. It was, and I'm not going to go as far to say as it shaped who I was like when I was a teenager, but there was something so attractive of every aspect of this movie that I, I think that it probably had something to do with the way I acted and behaved. Mm. Important film for you then. Absolutely. Good evening. I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing on the parking lot at Twin Pines Mall. It's Saturday morning, October 26, 1985, 1.18 a.m., and this is temporal experiment number one. Come on, honey. Hey, hey, boy, get in there. Now, now, boy. In here you go. Sit down. Put your seatbelt on. That's it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Please note that Einstein's clock is in precise synchronization with my control watch. Got it? Right, check done. Good. Have a good trip, Einstein. Watch ahead. Get that thing hooked up to the car. Watch this. Yeah, okay. Got it. Calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Both Einstein and the car are completely intact. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I sent him into the future. One minute into the future to be exact. And precisely, 1.21 a.m. in zero seconds, we shall catch up with him at the time machine. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? 
All right, well, this sequence, yes, as I say, the uh, the uh, the DeLorean's in that trailer, and uh, this is a very Spielberg moment. I, w I was watching it again today, and that when the the music is very Spielberg Spielbergian, mm -hmm. you can say that, um, and the way it's shot, the way when it opens, you've got all that steam or smoke uh, um, um, coming out before you actually see the DeLorean. It's all uh, very Steven Spielberg. This. Very much, and that sound that it's when it starts rolling down the thing, it sounds like a proton pack firing up from Ghostbusters. The it sound does. effects in this are so are so spot on. Like everything about this is perfect. There is a sound effect, and I was trying to place it. I've never been able to place it. I know it when we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. But when you know the car is is off and it's going towards the two up to eighty eight miles an hour, there is a wee. It, that, that, that the car makes it and I know that noise from somewhere I'm sure it's been pinched from another film right it's a real high-pitched whine it's only there for like a split second and I know I know that from somewhere yeah you're probably right I I don't know myself but mm. I, I know the sound you're talking about because I've seen this mm. countless times so out it comes out comes the DeLorean um, we don't know DeLoreans over here. They never arrived over here. So, um, you know, it, it, it's part, again, of the allure of Hollywood that, you know, oh, look, that's, a, that, that's just a regular car in America. And look what it looks like, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody drove a DeLorean over no. here either. No. no and, and you see them every once in a while now. And people only have them because of the movie. But when you do see one maybe parked in a parking lot and it doesn't happen often i'm telling you like maybe if you're lucky once a year mm. other people will get out of their cars and take pictures of it right right because that's all it is now there are so many great things just about the car i uh my friend turned me on to this documentary it's called out of time and it is universal studios hired these guys and bob gale's involved with it to uh renovate the original a car from Back to the Future because they had three cars. The A car is the one that we see pulling out of that trailer. And after the films, Universal Studios just left it out on the back lot for people to sit in, take pictures. It like sat down in the rain. It got weather damage. People would steal crap out of it. Oh, they were no. missing almost. A, I mean, the flux capacitor and, and, and the time circuits and all that stuff was eventually little by little stolen. Oh, no way. And these Universal Studios hired these guys to renovate it. They put a plea out. If you stole anything in the last 15 or 20 years, please return it. They got almost all of it back. That is, and, that, 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 that is smart. Yeah. And now it's fully restored to film quality, uh, better than film quality, because some of the things that they did to it, like the time circuits when they would come on, it would make that noise. That was all special effects in the movie. Mm. They actually have that uh, computer in there that makes that noise when oh, you turn really? it on and stuff. No, they they've made this exactly the way Doc Brown would have made it, not a movie prop. <laughs> because it's... technology now, you know, I mean, I, I I go to conventions and you've got guys, you know, as you say, the proton pack, you know, as Ghostbusters and the proton packs make the noises now. You know, you don't exactly. have to dub it on afterwards. Brilliant yes. stuff. Yeah. The the real A car, the one that we see that did most of the filming, there were three cars. Some of them did more of the driving stunts. But the one that's rolling out of the Emmett R. Brown trailer is the A car that is now encased in glass in Universal Studios. Because um, I've seen several at conventions in this country. You go to, I used to go to conventions with Chris and Tim from Star Wars and Character and Neozaz. And they would have 
DeLoreans that you could sit in and yeah, get a picture to, taken. I've been to conventions and they've been there, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just other DeLoreans that someone remodeled to look like the thing. And most of them are actually affiliated with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. So to get your picture taken in, you have to pay 10 bucks. And that ten bucks goes to the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Hmm. Foundation. In fact, when you they have a Mister Fusion on them, and if you put a dollar in the Mister Fusion, there must be a sensor in there because as it falls in, they have sound clips from the movie. Oh, really? That's yeah. that's cool. That's cool. They do. And Michael J. Fox it has the the way he's embraced some some actors. You know, they don't embrace their things. And like for a long time, Harrison Ford didn't do that. Mm. And he seems to be doing it a little more now. Michael J. Fox has always embraced this, which makes it even more endearing. Mm. Mm. But that A car is the one that we see in the movie. You and that's can, the one you, coming down the ramp. That's the one coming down the ramp. That's the one that they used for all the the real shots. Okay, all right. So so yeah, it it, it comes down. We have Doc Brown inside, don't we? Um, yes. All this, I don't know if it is smoke. I don't know if it's steam. Um, I don't know what that's all about. That's never explained why the car is full of smoke or steam when Doc gets out. <laughs> that's true. Those vents on the back produce a lot of uh, steam after the trips through time. Hmm. I guess they could be coming from them. It's probably just boiling down to it being like this cool reveal. It has it nothing is. to do with anything. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, when when you got the trailer there and the, and the ramp comes down, it always now reminds me of uh, Jurassic Park at the beginning when you've got when when you've got, you know, that Velociraptor in the crate. Uh, There's okay. just something about the way that's filmed and the music and everything, you know, this building up a little bit of suspense thing yep. um, r- reminds me of that. I, I agree. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Yeah, but Doc's there. Oh, Christopher Lloyd. I love Christopher Lloyd. He's fantastic Yeah, is in the, everything. Is this your favorite role of his? This and the, the sitcom Taxi. I guess yeah. I don't know if that's a, a thing that has made it all across the world. Oh no, yeah, we had that over here in the seventies, definitely. Yeah, he's he's so funny, he's so multi talented, and uh, I don't know if people people don't give him enough credit. When people think Back to the Future, they're thinking, you know, the Spielberg stuff and Fox and the car. Um, none of this would have worked with with anybody else, I think. And Christopher Lloyd deserves a lot of credit. He's 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 an amazing actor. He is overlooked a lot of the times, isn't he? You know, I mean, he can be a serious actor. He can be uh, a comedic one. He he can be downright oddball. I mean, you know, I I also like him in Buckaroo Banzai. I think he's right. great in that. And uh, and in Star Trek Three, you know, I, I, he's he's the best Klingon I think I've I've, I've ever seen. You know, he, right, he was brilliant in that. He has chops, and and he displays it, like you said, in so many ways. He could be the guy in the insane asylum in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's mm-hmm. Nest, and also be the animated villain on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. Like he can, he can do it all. Yeah, yeah, no, he's great. Um, so yeah, this sequence, we we'll, we will start talking about it. Um, they're at they're at this uh, shopping mall, aren't they? Uh, in 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 the early hours, because he's going to test his latest invention, and he wants Marty there to document it. Um, this that there, there are two things in this film which shockingly date this film. Number one is that video camera that Marty's got. <laughs> it's Gold. great. It's it's oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> words fail, and and yet that was again. I mean, you know, over here in, in England, you look at that and it's like, oh, look at that. He's got a, he's actually got a video camera, and it's this huge thing <laughs> on his shoulder, isn't it? Right. 
And the the way that Zemeckis has them later on when they're going to when Doc in 1955 is going to watch these events unfold, they actually do a really good job of matching up when Marty starts recording mm. and what Doc will watch mm. in 1955. The dialogue matches the way Marty's pulling up the camera because Marty's an awful cameraman. <laughs> I mean, it's one twenty in the morning. And he really shouldn't be there. No, 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 no. That, as I say, there's two things that date this film for me. Uh, there's the camera and there's the Libyans. Yeah, where, yeah. Where you have Libyan terrorists going around, you know, dressed as Libyan terrorists. You know? uh, yeah. Wouldn't happen now. Wouldn't happen now. It's a tad insensitive. It is. It is now. Yes, blimey. So yeah, that, that, there's the car. There's Einstein. He's being strapped into uh, into the car uh, with uh, Marty filming it. Um, um, the, I guess the remote control isn't too dated. You still get radio control cars with whacking great big remote controls like that. Although this one's got some doohickeys on it, hasn't it? It's got that little light that springs out the side and everything. Yeah, and he's got because he seems like he has a lock on it that he can lock that and build up the speed, and the car won't start running until he, mm. uh, you know, disengages that lock. That is burning some rubber, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he does. He, yeah, yeah we're going to see some serious shit, aren't we? Um, uh, yeah, what a great line! Did you? I was going to ask you this. Like, I mean, that's that's one of the classic lines to me in movie history. If my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. When you, as an Englishman, or anyone in Great Britain sees these things, do you get pissed off that you have to do math because things are in miles per hour? No. No, no. Okay. It, no, no, it's still miles per hour over here. Oh, okay. Well, no, it's not, it wouldn't be in kilometers per hour? No, we don't have kilometers over here. We're still sticking to it. You know, we're still sticking to miles and feet and inches. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, Part of part of this country has gone uh, um, metric, but most of it is still imperial. Okay, I because I often thought about that, not just for Europe, but just places all over the world. This this movie's international. Do people in other countries know? I mean, they're sitting there trying to convert this to eighty-eight miles per hour into kilometers. That That's, must bother them. I tell you what, I'm I'm gonna have to get the Blu-ray out and put it on and see it in other languages. And see if they say, you know, miles or kilometers. I mean, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'll watch it in French and, and see uh, what... Because uh... <laughs> that changes the line then. It does, it does. <laughs> and, and it won't match up with, the, uh, with what you see on the screen. No, know? it Be wouldn't. Because 88 miles an hour is about 100 kilometers an right. hour, you know. So that won't work. That won't make any sense. He's got to say <laughs> miles in any language. He's got to say miles, hasn't he? Right, especially because they get a lot of close-ups of the speedometer in the car, mm. and that right as it's getting to a you know almost ninety miles an hour, the special effects start kicking in. Yeah, I tell you what, I've said two things that date the film. I tell you what doesn't date the film, and and that is the LED displays. I am um, you know because that they, that they, they, they've been made really well. And okay, yes, you know LED displays are a lot smaller now, and everything's LCD rather than LED. But that still holds up. All those control panels in the um, in the DeLorean, I think, uh, still hold up to this day. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I love in in those cockpit. It's not cockpit, but you know what I'm talking about. Shots where the things that Doc wants to label he's using one of those things where you would pinch the plastic 
to type out the letters and just stick oh, his own little. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had that like dial, a... didn't you? You had to find f- find <laughs> yeah. a letter on the dial and then squeeze it, and that em- embossed it, didn't it? Onto Ex- onto that plastic strip. Exactly. That thing I love. That is a dated thing. I remember my dad having one of those for having to label things in his classroom. And I was like crazy just spelling my name <laughs> and writing, you know, like stuff about baseball. And I was like, my dad yelled at me for wasting his plastic. <laughs> but come on, that thing was so cool. And that's what Doc uses. Yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> oh, it's great. So, yeah, he uses the uh, the remote control to send Einstein and the DeLorean to the other end of the car park. And, yes, this is where we're going to see some serious shit. And he, mm-hmm. he he starts revving the engine. And, yeah, the back wheels are practically burning, aren't they? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's when he releases it and uh, off the car goes. And that's where that, that, that little wee noise is as, as the car comes scudding towards them. I, I, I don't know why Marty stands there through it at all i mean i mean I, he he does look up to doc brown and he respects doc brown but when you've got a car coming towards you at almost 88 miles an hour you're going to get out of the way aren't you that's a major trust it yes. is major major trust especially because he knows that doc doesn't always get it right uh you know he started the movie with the speaker which he blew out and blew himself across the room doc's experiments aren't always the greatest but yet he's going to stand in front of a car moving 90 miles an hour. Yeah, you're right. It's, that's a major trust. Marty, Marty's, Marty's, uh, I don't know. He's got a screw loose maybe. <laughs> but it, I reach 88. It does. And, and, you know, just before it, we have the first of the special effects is, which is the, uh, like the lightning flashes, uh, coming, uh, from the car in front of the car. Don't we? Yeah, and I've often I watched it in slow motion today and paused it a bunch to watch because I was wondering. I never watched it at I never watched it from a special effects point of view before, which mm-hmm. which I also thank you for because it gave me another way to look at this. Um, I remember the the blue things kind of coming from the back of the car to the front of the car and kind of making a barrier. Mm. Uh, it's almost like you're seeing the time barrier being broken. Yes. And I was wondering if those blue things came from the flux capacitor because that is the thing that makes time travel possible. <laughs> but they don't. They come from like the top of the car. Yeah. So what's generating that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't care because it looks cool. It does. But I yeah, like even watching it and I was pausing it, it almost felt it almost creates a cone shaped kind of blue a uh, semicircle in front of the car like that is time being broken well originally that the, the plan was that you would see the car as it goes into into the future it would go into the into time and from what they're describing it's not dissimilar to seeing the uh, hyperspace effect in star wars okay so you would briefly see this what you see a glimpse of there uh, forming at the front of the car the car would be encased in all that, and then it would arrive. Okay. I like it. Mm. And I never really, like I said, I'm not a special effects person, so I'm probably not the best person I have on this show, but I'm enjoying myself thoroughly, and uh, I never really uh, thought about that till today, and I've seen this movie, I feel like, hundreds of times. I guess they had to put something on. If you're not going to show its POV as it goes through time, 
it wouldn't just disappear. That's not dramatic enough. You've got to show something to show that something is about to happen. Right. It it wouldn't be. It's like in Doctor Who when the TARDIS disappears. You have a sound effect and it slowly fades out of view. It doesn't just go and it's gone. That right. it, it 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 wouldn't be dramatic enough. So I think this is really cool. This, uh, by the way, this effect is cell animation. Okay. It, okay. It, it, it it's painted on much like you know a Looney Tunes cartoon used to be painted uh, frame by frame. They were painted on. And it still looks great today. Oh, yeah, that definitely holds up. Tell you what doesn't hold up is uh, when the car disappears and you <laughs> have the uh, tracks of flame. <laughs> I can remember in 85 thinking that doesn't look right because Marty and Doc, they're sort of like superimposed above the flames. They don't look like they're on the ground at all. They don't. You can almost see through their legs mm, mm. as they stand there. Th- that's one complaint with the movie that I hear and. You know, like when movies are this great, you find little things to complain about. But the fact that they're standing in flames mm. and not being Singed. injured. <laughs> yeah. So, and I've often thought about this because at that point, I don't know. This is me retconning and I don't know, writing my own fan fiction on the spur of the moment. At that point, the car isn't there, the car is in the future. Yes. So, what made the those- flames? Those tire tracks shouldn't even be there. No, they, the car disappeared before it reached them. Right. So are those tire tracks even there? I don't know. Maybe Because like, otherwise they that would explain them not getting burnt. Yeah. Unless it's not flame. It looks like flame, but it's not flame. It's just like an after image. Or energy or something like that. Like an energy transfer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a trial. Yeah. Because that would explain why they're not singed or burnt. Their clothes aren't affected. Right. Yeah. And there isn't an answer for this. And maybe somebody's asked this to Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis at some point, and they've said something. But really, all they have to say is, just shut up and enjoy the third greatest movie of all time. Mm. Mm. But if somebody, and people like that, and, and I'm like this too. Like, I want to know, like, uh, we'll take this apart and we'll talk about this. I'm going to, I'm going to, in my mind, say that those tire tracks are some kind of afterthought of, history or something and they're not really there Mm. like we see them but doc and marty don't no because they do it again don't they this isn't the only time when the delorean goes into time that you have the tracks yes because doc will walk between them in the end of the movie as well yeah 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 it doesn't explain the license plate no that's a good point (laughs) because why does the license plate come off because Doc Brown attached it, and you said he's not that good at some <laughs> things, you know? That's the perfect answer. Maybe he stuck it on with that, that, that ticker tape thing that we were talking about with the lettering. And labeled it license plate. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's all that was holding it on. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It looks terrific. I mean, that's a, a, a classic cinema image, isn't it, with the two of them? And then, um, you know, Doc jumping up and down, going 88 miles an hour. Um, yep. You know, it's a terrific moment. And Marty's flabbergasted and it goes to pick up the license plate, which is is great. The, the I don't know, was the spinning license plate really them spinning a license plate? I guess like, so. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's so great. It doesn't. I don't understand why it's there. Yeah. But I don't care. This is one of those movies where you suspend so much disbelief because it is so great. If this movie stunk, 
you would be tearing it apart. Oh, the license plate. Oh, they're standing in flames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but because this movie is almost near perfection, you go, I get whatever. Yeah, yeah. You just, um, you just go along with it, don't you? you? You do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a minute later, uh, it returns. Uh, we have the return of the DeLorean and Einstein. Um, and, and does a very dramatic skid to, uh, to, the, uh, to a stop. Yes. And rather than making a big production out of that, I think it is a good use to just have it appear. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and that adds to the, to the drama because had Doc not just happened to remember that it was a minute later, they might have been hit by it because yes. they he, apparently he are standing in the same spot. Yeah, he has to push them out the way, doesn't he? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and Christopher Lloyd is great in this when he starts explaining um, to Marty what's happened and about how you know Einstein has skipped over that minute. He, he he's compelling in this. He he's a really great performance. He is. It's it's uh, it's it's so wonderful. I like old Marty saying about you know you've uh, you've made a time machine out of a a DeLorean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, no. It's terrific stuff. Okay, um, are we going to talk about what happens next, or are we going to end it there? Are we going to talk about the Libyans? Well, you're a special effects show. Um, there isn't a lot of special effects in there. I assume this is just a lot of stunt driving. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, well, well let's just uh, let's just stop that there, and I'll I'll give you some info, shall I? Okay. The only thing I want to say about the Libyans is I used to do a show on NewsS called Indiana Jones and Character, where we took apart the obscure characters in the Indiana Jones saga. And if you can picture the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where young Indiana Jones is uh, kind of running away from a gang of people. Mm-hmm. One of the guys in that gang is the head Libyan that's driving the little minivan. No way. In Back to the Future. So I love connecting my favorite things. So there is an Indiana Jones, other than Spielberg, of course, mm. an Indiana Jones Back to the Future connection in one of the Libyans. No, I don't, did you mention that on Indiana Jones in character? Because I don't remember you saying that. Yeah, I think we, we did. A, the That guy that he ends up getting the hat from, they just call him Fedora because mm. that's where Indiana Jones gets his fedora. And I think we did a whole episode on Fedora's gang. Right. Yes, I remember I remember that episode, but I don't remember you saying that that was one of the Libyans from Back to the Future. Wow. The Libyans. <laughs> it's the Libyans. <laughs> God, no, you wouldn't say that. I've now. grown I've grown up my life being afraid of Libyans because of this movie. <laughs> I'm sure Libyans are wonderful people. Well, I, t- I tell you, I tell you what, um, this is uh, going to sound strange as well. My my father used to work in Libya uh, okay. in the seventies, uh, out in the oil fields on on one of these oil refineries. You know, that's like hundreds of miles in the into the desert, and he used to bring back all sorts of things from Libya. And for a long time, I think there's a photo somewhere. For a long time, in our living room. Um, in the seven, you didn't have this in America. I'm sure you didn't have it in America. Um, it was very naff. It was pretty duff um, in 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 the UK in the 70s that you had. A, do you know what I'm talking about? If I say flying ducks on the wall, no. Right. Okay. I'm, I've got to I've got to find an image and put it on Facebook so you can see it. Okay. Really naff. If you imagine these like ceramic sculptures of ducks, right? <laughs> 
three, mm-hmm. three different sizes usually, and they were just hung on the wall, so they looked like they were ducks flying across the wall, right? <laughs> okay. For some reason, people did that back in like the 60s and 70s, flying ducks uh, on the wall. I like it. It sounds like you should bring this back. Well, I don't know about that. I'd rather bring my Hannibal Lecter cinema <laughs> in yeah. Uh, than th- th- that but my father brought back and god knows why but we had three libyan heads on the wall oh my god yeah yeah the ceramic lip painted libyan heads about each one about the size of your hand okay <laughs> in turbans with beards and i seem to remember they were like quite middle-aged rough looking gentlemen and we had three libyan heads on our living room wall Wow. That's why I'm scared of the Libyans. Because <laughs> you woke up in the middle of the night to get a glass of milk. And there's three and Libyans there's... staring at me, yeah. And there's... Did you always, as a kid, want to draw like that mini bus up there like, <laughs> like surrounding the Libyans on the wall? I should have done, shouldn't I? Yes. <laughs> Where are these things? Are they still around? You oh, should, no. You they're them long out. gone. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure you can't buy them either. I'm sure if you went on eBay and tried putting in Libyan heads... Um... Yeah, that would be bad. Don't do that. (laughs) Different world. In in America, we had on the wall, especially near your kitchen or dining room, the oversized fork and knife for some reason. See, I don't know what you're talking about there. (laughs) It was just a giant, I want to say like four foot fork knife spoon set that you would hang on the wall as decoration to make sure everyone in the room knew that this is the place you eat. No, I've I that's news to me, and and I grew up watching American TV. I've never seen that. Oh, I've, there's I've, one. There's one actually in uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, because I remember it being a joke at the end that they take the fork and knife off the wall, and the wallpaper under the where the knife and fork was is brand spanking new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got to Google that as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right, behind the scenes. Okay, um, the DeLorean being the time machine, okay, uh, there, there were several variations in the early drafts of the script, okay, and in the very first draft, uh, it was some sort of laser device, a bit like, you know, what we get with, you know, the flux capacitor and, you know, uh, what have you, but it was in a room, okay, uh, it, it was a, a laser device that was housed in a room, okay? okay, and at the end of this first draft, okay, it and does this ring any bells for you, Dave? It was attached to a refrigerator and taken to an atomic bomb test. <laughs> I do, I do remember reading that. Now that you say this, mm. so years later, Spielberg is going to resurrect the refrigerator. Yep. Yep. Oh my God! So here's another Indiana Jones Back to the Future connection. Yeah. But the thing is, the reason that idea was nixed, it was nixed by Steven Spielberg because he didn't want children to start climbing into refrigerators. Oh, well, that was okay in 2000-whatever? Yeah, yeah, but not in 1984-85, no. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big thing over here if you ever because it was always they would talk about that in school. If you ever see an abandoned refrigerator, don't climb in it, you'll never get out, you'll suffocate. How many abandoned refrigerators do you see sitting around? <laughs> we used to have it. We used to have these public information films when I was growing up on TV and it's like don't don't play on the scrap yards. You might get trapped inside a inside a fridge. Yeah. <laughs> 
Wow, I didn't. Okay, I didn't. So this is kind of like they were using the refrigerator, like they'll use the telephone booth later in Bill and Ted. Mm, yeah, very much so. Yeah, just something ordinary that will become a time machine. Yeah, uh, they went from a refrigerator to a car, mm. and Bill and Ted took it even a step more absurd. Well, you know, I mean, and Bill and Ted have totally is basing it on uh, Doctor Who, the TARDIS. I mean, back there then in the early 60s, the police box, that was in every big town in all the cities. They were everywhere. Okay. It was where yeah. the policeman could make a phone call to the police station in those days before walkie-talkies. Yeah, it is that same thing. Because I'm not a Doctor Who person at all, so I, I don't even think about that. But you're exactly right. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, when we get to the third draft uh, of the screenplay, um, the time machine had become a DeLorean at that point, okay? But in order to send Marty back to the future, he had to drive it into an atom bomb test. <laughs> the, 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 the power needed, you know, to send him back was an atom bomb going off rather than a bolt of lightning. This would have made things so convoluted. To to have to arrange that, I mean, uh, but what about the radiation, though? Yeah, that's that's another. I don't know how point. they would have got around that. Um, that's another good point. Yeah, it was the nuclear age, so like that was probably like the first thing on their mind. Maybe, but maybe they made such good choices. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm glad they went with what they did. Um, the DeLorean uh, was chosen because of its uh, general appearance and its gull wing doors. Um, they they needed to make it plausible that people in 55 would presume it to be an alien spacecraft. Yeah, especially those doors. Mm. It is very sci-fi, isn't it? Yeah, and the doors probably actually made it easier to film. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're impractical, though, aren't they? I've, I've, I've seen before cars where they've attempted to have these as, as, as a standard fitting. They, they always go wrong. The pistons that are needed to hold it open wear out quickly or something or other. I'll bet. That's, yeah, that's like a, a little air pressure thing that if that goes wrong, now you're trying to lift a 300-pound door over your head. Mm. That's that's not a good thing. There, There's another documentary, aside from the one that I already mentioned, of just the people in this country that buy, collect, and restore DeLoreans because of the movie. Mm. There are DeLorean societies that, that that's all they do. Um, you can still buy them. Mm. It, it's uh, it's very similar. I mean, you know, Mad Max, when the first Mad Max came out, I mean, George Miller, he had very little money. The police cars are what was just a bog-standard, you know, very common car, the Ford Falcon. Um, but after Mad Max, everybody wants them. Everybody wants to do them up and turn them into Mad Max cars. It's very similar. Yeah, that's what people do here. <laughs> In fact, do you watch um, comedians and cars getting coffee? Uh, we don't have that over here. Okay, so Jerry Seinfeld interviews a comedian in a car, and they go get coffee. It's just like the title, and uh, it's it's an excellent show. It's probably the best example of what a documentary should be mm-hmm. in in film history. And uh, the Pat Oswalt episode, he picks up Pat Oswalt in a DeLorean because he tries to match the car with the celebrity. Right. And Pat Oswalt goes nuts when he sees this thing. Well, when they get to their first stop, it breaks down. <laughs> and they have to get a second DeLorean to come pick them up. And I think that is what the deal is with DeLoreans. Mm. You, you can get it to run but it's going to break down on you because they were just crappy cars. And now they're crappy cars that are 30 years old. 
Yeah, I wouldn't want one. They look cool, but I wouldn't want, want, wouldn't want one. Right. Right. Next fact. That first uh, version of the screenplay. Uh, do you know how Marty would make his money in this first draft? Make his money? Mm. How how he no. earn money? Uh, video piracy. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, but that element, it was dropped quickly because no studio be, would be wanting to see to endorse video piracy. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Do you know what films he, he would have been seen uh, pirating in, in this first draft? <laughs> I do not. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> okay. Uh, Stir Crazy. <laughs> Superman 2. And The Empire Strikes Back. Wow! So you got a Back to the Future Star Wars connection there. I love it. This is this is another bad idea. Well, first of all, why does Marty need money? Mm-hmm. Second of all, you're going to take your hero and and villainize him and make him kind of a scumbag off the top. Like that's a bad idea too. Yeah, he's not a hero, is he? No, no, no. Um, the Mister Fusion Home Energy Converter. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, it's made. From among other things, a Krupp's coffee grinder. Did you know okay. that? that's a Krupp's... I did know. I did know it was a coffee grinder. Yeah. yeah, it's a Krupp's coffee grinder. And we have another film connection. We have a Back to the Future Alien connection, because okay. when uh, John Hurt wakes up at the beginning of Alien and he goes to make himself a coffee, one of these uh, coffee grinders is on the wall there. <laughs> that's awesome. It, it, it's it, it's amazing. You see a Mister Fusion in Alien. I had no idea. I love that you're doing this. You're tying in some of the greatest things with the other greatest things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all, it, we're, all, we're getting all Kevin Bacon, aren't we? All these connections. <laughs> yeah. uh, Six degrees of Mr. Fusion. There you go. Yes. The Flux Capacitor, okay, has got two red, red labels on it. You're a fan of this film. Do you know what the red labels say? The red labels? Crap. No, that's not one of them. <laughs> I should know. I don't. Okay. At the top, it says disconnect capacitor drive before opening. Okay. All right. And at the bottom, it says shield eyes from light. Shield eyes from light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's the one you can read more. I think the one at the top is probably obscured. Mm. But the shield eyes from light, definitely, I should have known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The Speedo that you see inside the DeLorean isn't a genuine DeLorean Speedo. Okay. Because the one that you see in the film goes up to a top speed of 95 miles per hour, okay? But a real one only goes up to 85. So they had to make a fake one so that they could get it up to 88. <laughs> I saw actually in, in looking today, I saw an article on some, I think it was like a car magazine website where they said the title of the article may have been, Sorry, Marty, your car's not getting to 88 miles an hour, period. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's a guy called Michael Fink. Okay, he was production designer on the film, and uh, his job was to dress the interior of the DeLorean. Okay, and uh, he was given a blank slate. Um, it was totally up to him to do it. Um, Ron Cobb, uh, the guy who designed the outside and everything that went on the outside of the DeLorean, had left everything uh, inside blank. So it was, and and uh, the the producer said to him, "It's all yours. Do what you want." And uh, he, he was chosen because he had worked on Blade Runner, you know, detailing the inside of the spinner cars um, cool. in that and the Void Kampf machine and, and stuff like that. So he knew that he could do it. Um, and he, I've, I've got a quote from him here, and he's saying that he doesn't remember if he did any sketches 
but he must have. Um, and what he basically did, he started with a basic shape and he just built things out of junk. And he had worked on Buckaroo Banzai and hmm. um, and uh, was doing that uh, on that as well. Um, That's one of the things that these guys had trouble with in rebuilding the ACAR is that some of the things that were stolen or rotted from weather were custom made things that didn't even exist. So they had to rebuild everything. And a lot of it on the car was made of wood. Mm. So when wood sits out in the rain and the sun, it gets destroyed and warped. And now they had to like rebuild these things. But instead of rebuilding them out of wood, now they forged them all out of steel. So it's a, they improved the car, but they had that that stuff you just said reminds me of some of the problems that they ran into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything like the flux capacitor and all the stuff that's there. Um, he used these things called vacuum relays, um, and he used those because he thought they looked really cool um, mm-hmm. and could be backlit. And the purpose of those relays, they were used on oil refineries and things like that, and chemical plants where um, where you have an explosive atmosphere and if you're going to switch on electricity you know there's a danger the spark will ignite it so you encase these relays in this like glass that you see in the film and then you know it can go without igniting the atmosphere so so that's what he used for those mainly though just because it looked cool yeah that's what these guys were in junk shops they were in like army we have army navy stores over here Mm -hmm. where you can buy old bomb casings and all kinds of stuff like that that's what these guys these guys did they actually said the guy in the documentary i don't want to say too much about the documentary because i really think people should watch it the guy that was the biggest pirate of pieces of the car was the guy that played doc brown in universal studios oh really because he used to get to drive the car right he used to drive it out through the park and park it and do a little skit and then drive it back well this guy drove the car probably more than anybody because he did it for years and years and years and uh, they think that this guy actually stole and sold a lot of the parts in the car. So he was pocketing bits. Every time he got out of the car, he had a new bit in his pocket. <laughs> yep. Bit by bit, he took it away. He did. Bloody hell. Um, I don't believe this fact. I, I, I find this hard to believe. But uh, the test audience, the very first test audience, okay, were not told that the movie was intended to be a comedy, okay, and apparently uh, the atmosphere in the cinema started to get really tense during the scene where Einstein goes through time because they thought something bad was going to happen to him. Oh, okay. They're thinking this is like a sinister movie. I can't believe that. By the time you reach the point that Einstein goes through this sequence we've been talking about, you've already had quite a bit of comedy. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Christopher Lloyd's performance tells you that this isn't a horror film. This isn't Jeff Goldblum in The Fly, is it? You, you know, no. He's not going to arrive turned inside out or anything. No, you've seen Doc, two of Doc's inventions. Assuming that the speaker is an invention, um, it's something that Doc is using in his lab. You get to see that bit of physical comedy. Mm. And Doc's other invention that you see is the machine that feeds Einstein. Yes, and just slops it on the floor. <laughs> it just slops it on the floor. He reminds me, his inventions remind me of Hoyt Axton's inventions in Gremlins. I knew you were going to say that. As soon as you said it reminds me, it's like he's going to say the Gremlins guy. Yep, absolutely, 100%. The, Rand Peltzer. The, pel- <laughs> the Peltzer, you know, whatever dispenser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bathroom buddy. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he was such a shitty inventor, but it was so good. That's how. That's the kind of guy that I think they're going for with Doc. 
until he hits it on a note. And I'll tell you what, Billy in Gremlins looks up to, you know, his dad in the same way Marty is looking up to Doc Brown. Yeah, he? it's great. Even though he's a crappy really inventor, he still looks up to him. He's he's awful, and his family loves him for yeah. it. Yeah, it's like he's out there just peddling his garbage anywhere. Uh, such such a yeah, another great another great. One. Oh yes, yeah. I know you're uh, a fan of film music and film scores. Um, mm-hmm. We mentioned the music uh, at the beginning when the uh, the ramp comes down. Alan Silvestri's score doesn't begin until eighteen minutes into the film. Okay. Actually, I yeah, because bef- there's silence while the the prologue is going on. The first song you hear is "Power of Love" yeah. as he's skateboarding to school, and then there's nothing between them. No, then. no. eighteen minutes. That's quite. It's quite a gap, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you know that this film was banned in China? <laughs> why? Be- Do you want to guess why before I tell you why? In China. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I have no, I have no guess. Apparently, it was because the notion of time travel disrespects history. Oh, geez. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Whatever. Sorry, China. I, I think it's been lifted since. I, th- I think you can see it now. But initially, uh, no, it was banned. <laughs> That's great. I've got one more fact for you, and this is a good one. I like this one. All right, and I, I'm, I'm sure you will as well. Um, the rights to the film and its sequels are owned jointly by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. And in a 2015 interview, Zemeckis maintained that no reboot or remake of the franchise would be authorised during his or Bob's lifetime. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Can you imagine well, if he... they tried redoing it? Can you imagine if they did like a Ghostbusters reboot of Back to the Future? Oh no, I, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine it at all. It, I, hopefully, this is one that would really have people up in arms. You'd need to make a time machine to go back in time to stop it being made, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, I hope Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, if they have children, they bequeath these rights mm. to their children in their wills, and their children, and then their children's, children's children will always <laughs> children's agree. Children's children's children. We're turning into Monty yes. Python now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Zemeckises and the Gales must keep this in the family and make sure this never happens yeah you've got to i mean there are a number of films you know like you know the et's and stuff like that you know it's just leave it that 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 that, that perfect examples of filmmaking at that time and they don't need redoing why remake it why yeah no reason you've you've already there are there are things that happen that people want to remake or keep doing there are things that should just stop and and I mentioned and I and I'm a big sports person and I you know we just had not that long ago the uh, slam dunk contest in the NBA. I don't know if anybody in England cares about this. We had Michael Jordan and a guy named Dominique Wilkins that uh, perfected this. Mm-hmm. So doing it after them, it's just stupid. Mm-hmm. Doing anything with Back to the Future after this is just the dumbest thing ever because you've achieved perfection, so you can't improve on yeah. it. You can't do anything with it, so just let it alone. Yeah, leave it alone. Yeah, absolutely. Hun- agree 100%. Okay, all right. Well, that's the uh, behind the scenes, so now it's a, a, a rating of this. Now, the special effects-wise, there's not an awful lot, but it, it we're, we're rating the sequence Okay, so, you know, not just the special effects of it. How effective of an effect sequence is the DeLorean going back in time? And this is out of 10, right? Yes. 
It's really, if I'm being fair, for all the things that I love about this, it really has nothing to do with special effects. The effects in this are really not that great. I mean, they... I, they they do hold up as far as the cell animation thing that you're start talking about. The fire does not. The license plate does. After that, the car is uh, is you know all frosty, mm. uh, and, and I guess that's fine. But I, I think the special effects in this aren't fantastic. So I'm uh, whereas I would never really say anything bad about the the acting or the storytelling of this. The special effects to me don't really have a whole lot to do with that so i'll give it like a six. Oh, i thought you were going to go seven i th- i i really thought you were going to say a seven then yeah it, it's it's fine it does what it needs to do this is not to me a movie that uh, is relying on special effects in any way no no and also i mean what you were saying you're so engrossed by the story you're not really noticing the special effects are you no Hmm. This is not a special effects driven movie. No, no. All right. Uh, well, I'm a bit more generous. I was going to give it the seven that I thought you were going to give it. So that gives it a six and a half. All right. Okay. All right. I think that's fair. I think I think the the this special effects are not why you enjoy this. No. You enjoy it for the excellence that you're seeing. The special effects are fine. If it had just disappeared, like you said, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think any less of this movie. No. No. Well, that's a good. Good way to end it. All right. Well, thank you then, Dave. Thank you for your time. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. Anytime you want to talk about Back to the Future, on or off the air, you give me a call. Maybe I'll have you back when we talk about flying trains. (laughs) That'll be my pleasure, too. And uh, that one is at, I've seen that one. That That one's at Universal Florida. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks for your time today, then, Dave. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, go off and feed Einstein now, all right? <laughs> but don't use one of those things that slops it on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I won't. All right. All right. Cheers then, Dave. Cheers. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye.